So today is an auspicious day, not only because it's my birthday, <laughs> but more so because it's full moon day, Oposata day, full moon day of Neon. So it's one month after the Buddha got enlightened. And at this time, the Buddha was still around the Bodhi tree. Uh, as we know, he stayed around that area, in that area for seven weeks, uh, contemplating different things of the teaching that he had discovered. And so then, on the next full moon day, full moon day in July, that was the time when the Buddha delivered his first sermon, the setting in motion the wheel of the Dhamma, Dhamma Chaka Pavatana Sutta. So then, let's start with the Namotasa. <coughs> Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa And tonight's Dhamma talk will continue with the Bojangas. In my last talk, I talked about Piti Sambojanga, the enlightenment factor of rapture, or zest, interest, joy, or delight. And as we have seen, there are different manifestations of Piti, different degrees how it can manifest in our body from short momentary moments of piti to pervading piti. And when we practice vipassana meditation then this experience of piti, rapture, zest uh, can come up in the course of our practice. And when it happens in the course of our sitting or even walking or can happen while taking a meal or while getting dressed. So whenever rapture arises and becomes strong or distinct, then uh, we should observe it. We should note this uh, manifestation of rapture because if it's left unnoted, then one can become very attached to this experience because it's such a nice, pleasurable uh, experience. And so in the beginning, when meditators start to experience pity, meditators are usually very reluctant uh, to really attentively observe it because they want to enjoy it <laughs> after all these difficult stretch in the practice when there was a lot of pain and difficult uh, emotional states finally something pleasurable finally something nice 
Of course, they want to last it long. <laughs> but if it is not noted, then uh, it can become to what is called an imperfection of insight or corruption of insight. The Pali word is vipassana bakilesas, which uh, usually uh, happens in the fourth stage of insight knowledge when all these kind of nice pleasurable experiences happen seeing lights and rapture and strong faith and so on so if these experiences or states are not carefully noted one can get stuck there and practice does not further progress and so today we will have a look at two enlightenment factors, namely Pasati Sampojanga, the enlightenment factor of tranquility, and Samadhi Sampojanga, the enlightenment factor <coughs> of concentration. <coughs> so first we'll deal with the enlightenment factor of tranquility, Pasadi. And again we'll have a look at these enlightenment factors in regard to their uh, characteristic function, manifestation and the proximate causes. And the characteristic of Pasadi is tranquility. So that's uh, its nature. Its nature is calmness or tranquility. And this calmness or tranquility is divided into two groups. We have Kaya Pasadi and we have Chitta Pasadi. And Kaya Pasadi refers to the tranquility of the mental factors, like the tranquility of the Chitta Sikhas, those uh, mental states which accompany <coughs> Chitta consciousness. And so the second kind is citta pasadi, which is the tranquility of citta of consciousness. So um, tranquility is discerned as being in the consciousness itself, citta, but also the tranquility of the mental factors, the citta sikhas. And when the mental factors and consciousness become calm and tranquil, as a result of that also the body becomes calm, still and tranquil. And this factor of tranquility, Pasadi, is said to arise with in each moment when one is performing a, merit a meritorious deed. So while engaging in uh, practicing generosity, for example, Pasadi is uh, present, or when uh, keeping the precepts, or when uh, practicing any form of meditation. But of course in these uh, cases, 
this mental factor of tranquility is not very distinct or prominent. It becomes more prominent when we engage in meditation practice and in our Vipassana meditation practice this factor of tranquility becomes especially obvious and distinct in the fourth stage of insight knowledge this uh, stage where the arising and passing away of mental and physical phenomena is clearly uh, discerned and in that stage of the practice as mindfulness is quite good and other factors, wholesome factors are there so the practice becomes quite effortless and it seems like practice is uh, easy going and in this state also meditators usually don't feel uh, tired even if they practice the whole day they don't feel uh, exhausted and with the presence of tranquility so then both the body and the mind feel calm and tranquil and so this calmness and tranquility of both mind and body that arises in this fourth stage of insight knowledge this is the true enlightenment factor of tranquility for example suppose um, you are walking up a mountain in order to get to the top of it but if you are not used uh, to hiking uh, uh, if you are not very fit then probably after a very short time the body starts to get tired and it may even start aching and as a result of that physical pain then also the mind starts uh, to ache uh, to feel tired to feel affected by that and so when body and mind are afflicted by pain, suffering, distress so then there is not much wish or desire to continue walking up these mountains but rather um, one would uh, like to drop one's pack and sit down and have a rest and actually if one takes a rest, if one sits down, puts down the pack and enjoys the beautiful view that one has from up there then usually it doesn't take long and all the tiredness and the pains will dissipate and go away and then after some time one feels uh, refreshed and feeling refreshed and having one's energy restored then one actually could continue walking up the mountain and similarly it is with our meditation practice for people who have not practiced meditation before or have done only a little bit uh, of meditation practice then 
when they're not yet very familiar with the practice, they can get easily tired and exhausted. And this is because mindfulness has not yet developed, the mind is not yet concentrated, and so practice seems to be a struggle, or uh, one tries to put a lot of effort in one's practice. And also because in the beginning the body not being used to sitting is still aches and stiffness and pain and tension uh, may arise in the body. And so facing these difficulties then meditators are not very eager to continue with the practice. They want to give up or if it's in a retreat they want to go home. But if they could persevere not go home and continue with the practice, then after some time they will come to this stage when the arising and passing away of phenomena becomes uh, distinct, when they start to realize things come and they go. And so when things start to get clearer, objects being seen as appearing and disappearing one after the other, then with that uh, the practice has gained momentum and so then practice starts to flow quite easily, effortlessly. And as we have seen with the clear seeing of the arising and passing away of phenomena, then this enlightenment factor of tranquility can arise. And during that stage, as we have seen, it's also uh, during this stage that other enlightenment factors start to arise. For example, as we have seen last in the last talk, pity, rapture, also uh, starts to arise in this fourth stage of insight knowledge. And so with that there comes a sense of joy, interest and delight into the practice. And at the same time the body, uh, the mind first of all starts to become calm and tranquil and as a result of that also the body starts to uh, feel really calm and tranquil. And with that all the previous physical discomfort that the meditators had to go through, all the mental um, difficulties, difficult mental states and so on, they disappear. And so the practice becomes quite a nice thing uh, to do becomes a joyful uh, practice. And so having a mind and body that feels calm and tranquil, this means that all the mental agitation and restlessness has gone. And this factor of tranquility can become really mm, strong and powerful 
And so then the meditators uh, feel extremely calm. They feel extremely uh, tranquil. Something they have never ever experienced before. And as a result of that, they assume that this calm, tranquil, peaceful state is Nibbana. But actually it's only uh, tranquility, this factor being uh, really strong. And so also this state of tranquility, when it arises and is strong, it must also be observed and noted, so as not to get stuck there, as not to fall into the trap of the imperfections uh, of insight. And as I have uh, mentioned in the last talk regarding PT or rapture, so when PT rapture is present together with Pasadi tranquility, then at this stage it happens that chronic diseases that meditators had been suffering for a long time, even for many years, uh, start to get weaker or even uh, completely disappear. And so it's with in this regard that the Bojangas are considered to be medicine, medicine that makes all diseases disappear, both physical and more importantly the mental diseases. While staying in the forest center in Mobi, in Burma, guiding many foreign meditators in the practice, one Malaysian uh, meditator, she had a tumor in her armpit from which she suffered for a number of years. But then, uh, when she stayed in the center for an extended period of time, I forgot how many months she, she was there, but um, through her extended intensive meditation practice, then actually that tumor simply disappeared. Or another foreign meditator, a German man, came to practice for half a year, for six months, and at one stage, he related in the, Sayado, in the interview to Sayado Uindaka, which I translated, that an eczema that he was suffering from for many, many years had gradually uh, disappeared after a number of months of uh, practicing. And to his great amazement, it had just simply gone. And all, in, uh, all the previous years, he had treated it with creams and whatever, to no avail. For him, the meditation was the perfect, appropriate medicine. Now to the function of tranquility. The function of tranquility is to suppress the heat, both in the mental factors and in consciousness. 
So, in other words, it, it means that the function of tranquility is to relieve or crush the disturbances and agitation of the mind and with that also of the body. And the classical uh, simile for this is that of an elephant, just as an elephant crushes and tramples everything that it steps on, so does tranquility <coughs> crush the heat um, present in the mind and body. So this crushing of the heat in the mind and the body is compared to a person who has been walking in the hot sun then steps into the shade of a big tree to take some rest. And so uh, sitting there in the cool shade of this tree then the heat that this person was experiencing when walking out in the sun simply disappears and so the person feels cool and refreshed. And so it is said that with the arising of this um, enlightenment factor of tranquility then the heat present in the mind due to the defilements, the burning defilements, uh, is crushed and uh, disappears. And so, when the heat disappears, the natural result is that the mind becomes calm and cool, refreshed. Then the manifestation of tranquility. This is um, non-agitation, both of the mind and the body, or it's manifested as calm and peacefulness. So meditators experience this state as a very calm and peaceful state in which the mind and the body are not agitated. And that's why uh, they think this state is Nibbana because what they know maybe from books <coughs> or what they have heard saying that Nibbana is peace or calmness or stillness and having uh, never experienced such a calm, still and peaceful mind then they simply assume that must it be, I've got it if it were that easy <laughs> After practicing for a number of uh, quite many years, um, I had come to that point where finally I could sit uh, for one hour without too much physical pain. And so I thought, now I was already quite near to enlightenment because my idea was that sitting for one hour without too much pain and having no thoughts, in other words, having a calm, still mind, 
that was the goal. <laughs> and it was around that time that I met Saido Ujanaka. And so in one of my first interviews, I reported my experience and telling him and then he asked me and what about pain and I said well I can sit for one hour not much pain and I thought I'm really good huh <laughs> and I <laughs> and what Sayadaw Ujjanaka then uh, told me was not to my delight he <laughs> said so you should sit longer <laughs> <laughs> and I knew if I was going to sit longer then I would experience pain again. So it meant farther away from enlightenment. <laughs> then the proximate cause of tranquility. The Buddha just mentioned to give uh, frequently giving careful attention as proximate cause for the enlightenment factor of tranquility to arise which means frequently giving careful attention to the objects we are observing or just to be attentive uh, all the time in whatever we are doing and also here in the commentary seven uh, proximate causes for this enlightenment factor of tranquility to arise are mentioned and these seven causes are suitable food suitable weather suitable posture and living conditions a balanced effort in practice to avoid persons whose actions and speech are harsh and rude, to associate with calm and gentle persons, and the last one, to incline the mind to arouse the enlightenment factor of tranquility. So now let's have a look at these seven approximate causes as mentioned in the commentary. So the first one is to have suitable food. As we know from our experience, certain foods can cause a lot of wind in our body and which then afflicts our mind. So for some people it's onions, for others it's cabbage, for others it's acid food, whatever. And so creating a lot of wind uh, can feel, uh, can feel uh, this can lead to unpleasant physical sensations in the scriptures uh, they mention the upgoing winds which then could result in burping or the downgoing winds which result in farting <laughs> and certain foods like coffee or uh, black tea, they stimulate the mind and stimulate the mind to the point where the mind becomes quite restless 
or agitated. But if one has been drinking coffee or tea uh, ever since, then actually these people don't uh, record, realize that their mind is, a, is in a constantly <coughs> agitated or restless state because for them that's the normal uh, state. It's only if they would stop drinking that they would realize how much coffee or tea uh, can make the mind uh, agitated and restless. I know of um, one meditator who had been addicted to her black tea and although meditating for many many years she never could give up drinking black tea. But then in one retreat um, she was told by her teacher uh, after he had investigated why her mind would not really, really uh, settle down to a really calm and tranquil state. And so he told her to stop drinking tea. And with much reluctance, <laughs> reluctance she did. And it was only then that uh, her practice progressed further and that she had actually a breakthrough in her practice. So, to have suitable food is important, but one should not become obsessed with it. There should also be contentment with whatever uh, one is offered. Not making too big a fuss about uh, what one eats or drinks. So finding uh, the middle way a balance between really uh, listening to the needs uh, of your body but then also be frugal and content with whatever uh, is offered to you. Then the second point uh, is st uh, suitable weather which can be approximate cause for uh, tranquility to arise. So suitable weather or a suitable climate uh, is considered one that does not one that is not stressful or too stressful uh, for the body. Usually when foreigners come to meditate in Burma, um, the hot, humid climate in Burma can be quite a challenge. It's not familiar climate that they are living in. So if it's just uncomfortable, uncomfortable for the body, like sweating a lot and feeling hot, one can deal with that. But if this hot humid weather is really affecting the body or bodily functions, then it becomes a problem. Like some uh, <coughs> foreigners coming to Burma their bodies uh, simply cannot deal with this hot, humid climate and so they start to get very weak or 
their digestion does not function properly anymore and so with that having digestive problems uh, medication becomes very challenging or even a problem or sometimes uh, the body shuts down so much that meditators have no choice but to leave the country in the previous years when I was teaching here and that was usually in December after the retreat here I would go to Wat Buddha Dhamma Realizement's Ferry and do a self-retreat there and so that was like around Christmas, New Year's time so in summer and in one year when I was there it was quite hot quite warm, hot and after having had my meal, lunch uh, near the main area I was walking back to my kuti up on the slope of the mountain and although it was walking through the bush I wasn't exposed uh, to the full sun but still it was really very very hot and somehow I developed this heat rash like my chest would uh, start burning and it was very itchy so it was very strong and very very uncomfortable and it was so itchy I just wanted to go and scratch or uh, tear off the, the skin <laughs> and so finally when I arrived at the kuti I took the towel soaked it with water and then put this wet towel on my chest and had to lie there for a couple of hours or even three hours until that heat rash uh, diminished and later in the afternoon then it was over so that was okay it was a passing phenomenon it happened a couple of more times the following days very unpleasant but good object of meditation <laughs> then the third point is suitable posture and suitable living conditions so we know there are four kinds of postures we can practice in sitting, standing, walking and lying down and so it means to apply uh, that posture which is most suitable for our practice and also suitable living conditions can be conducive for this enlightenment factor of tranquility to arise here I think we have quite good and suitable uh, conditions for the practice of meditation when I first went to Burma in 92 I had no idea of what Burma was like and how a meditation center there would be like but knowing that it was a Buddhist country and that it had many meditation centers I simply assumed that the meditation center was in the countryside in a peaceful and calm setting and there I arrived in the meditation center 
which was in the middle of Yangon on the main road out to the airport having a bus stop directly in front of the uh, center and uh, you must know in Burma buses are quite noisy uh, vehicles and they use the horns a lot and then there were these numerous tea shops next to the center playing blaring music almost 24 hours a day I thought I was in the wrong place. <laughs> <coughs> this cannot be. How can they? But although it didn't seem to be the suitable or perfect conditions to meditate, somehow I just got into it and uh, it was possible uh, to meditate. It was even possible to meditate well with all that noise and disturbances around. Here in the West, in meditation centers, usually uh, centers can provide single rooms for meditators. Since a few years, having the new accommodations, uh, you get your own private room, which can be helpful. When I came to Burma, at that time there weren't so many rooms for the foreigners and so I had to share a room with another foreign uh, meditator. And because I was a bit late for the wasa, I had to wait for my visa. So she and others had already been there and were meditating. And so we basically said hello and exchanged our names, but we didn't engage in further conversation. And I must say that living so close with somebody else, the room was very small. It fitted in two beds and maybe 30 centimeters around the beds. That was it. So living quite close together in the room, always being in the same meditation hall, sitting at the same table at the dining in the dining hall. Although we didn't exchange many words, did not engage in communication, but uh, just this practice together formed a deep bond and a deep uh, friendship that um, has no equal uh, to other uh, friendships and bonds. And in Burma, to provide foreigners with a single room, you know, to they, the, the, their need for privacy is kind of a foreign uh, idea for Burmese and I also think some other Asian people. And actually, in the Burmese language, there is no word for privacy. <laughs> Simply doesn't exist. So then the next point is to have a balanced effort in practice. So as I already uh, mentioned briefly, like we need to discern 
when in our practice we need to put in more effort or energy and with that uh, rather incline the mind to the arousing enlightenment factors or to discern when we need to pull back, to relax a little bit more and then rather incline the mind to the calming uh, enlightenment factors. So to make sure that the uh, effort is kind of balanced in the middle. Then the next two points are to avoid persons whose actions and speech are harsh and rude and to associate with calm and gentle persons. Again, once more, um, the importance of the kind of persons we associate with or deal with as much as we have a choice there. And then the last of these points is to incline the mind to arouse the enlightenment factor of tranquility. And so this is just this uh, inclination of working towards that or directing the mind in that direction. It's kind of our attitude. Uh, this is what we want the mind uh, to go, like in this direction we want the mind to go. And then apply all the other uh, methods and things that we know that uh, are helpful for this enlightenment factor of tranquility to arouse. Now to the next enlightenment factor, that of concentration, which is Samadhi Sambhojanga. So Samadhi Sambhojanga refers to a concentrated state of mind, to a mind which is unified or one-pointed. And it is said that concentration has the characteristic of non-distraction. This means when the mind is concentrated or focused, the mind no longer goes here and there. The mind is not restlessly wandering from one object to another, from one thought to another, but it stays and sticks uh, with the object. It is said that a concentrated mind will stick to the object in the same way as a tacky object will remain on a wall once <coughs> it is thrown there. Or another example that comes from the Asian countries is if one um, puts down a big heavy bag of rice, then this heavy bag of rice just sits or rests there on the ground without moving, without wobbling. And so this characteristic of concentration is that the mind, when concentrated or unified, uh, stays and sticks with the object that it is observing. Or in the case of Samatha meditation, then 
that sticking of the mind with the object uh, is also referred to as absorption so when the mind is fully absorbed into the object and the function of con uh, concentration is to un unite the associate mental factors so this factor of concentration it has the function to unite all the other mental factors present at that moment so that they become really one that they become unified when concentration has not yet been developed or when it is quite strong so when the mind is not unified when mental factors are not unified then the mind is scattered it goes here and there wanders, roams about from one thought to another from one object to another and this is compared to uh, a heap of dust or flour when the wind blows then the dust or the flour is dispersed in all the different directions however a unified mind is not scattered the mind is not dispersed uh, all over the place and so this factor of concentration is important to be present because we need a mind sticking to the object so that we can clearly see and recognize the object and so can come to understand the nature of the object which is observed and when the mind is concentrated then it manifests in the mind as stillness So then the mind becomes still, it becomes motionless and it rests on the object that is observed and this is compared to the flame of a candle which is not moving so if there is no draft, no open doors or windows then the flame of a candle can be perfectly still motionless without flickering and so this is the image uh, for the concentrated mind in vipassana meditation when we observe an object it's usually changing it's not mm, staying the same all the time maybe in the beginning it seems like but even like if you observe the rising and falling movement of the abdomen so that's clearly an object that is moving that is changing from the beginning of the rise to the end and then from the beginning of the fall to the end of the fall so even for beginners it's quite obvious that there is some movement happening and so in Vipassana meditation 
uh, the concentration then should stick with that abdominal movement so when the abdomen is rising then when the mind is concentrated it can be focused on this rising movement and only when the mind is concentrated on this rising movement as it happens can one then clearly see uh, this arising movement and understand uh, its nature and in the same way the mind needs to stick with the falling movement as long as it is happening and only then when the mind is concentrated on this falling movement can this uh, falling movement be clearly discerned so concentration Samadhi is an important factor in our practice and that's why the Buddha said that it was uh, important to uh, develop concentration because only with a concentrated mind can impermanence, uh, unsatisfactoriness and non-self-nature phenomena be seen and understood. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.